Hi, I'm Duay Wat Frazier, and you're listening to episode 30 of Nerdocity Podcast. Today, my guest is Cheryl Boyce Taylor. Cheryl is a poet and curator born in Trinidad and raised in Queens, New York. She is the author of five collections of poetry Raw Air, Night When Moon Follows, Convincing the Body, Arrival and Mama Fife Represents, a verse memoir about her son, hip hop legend Malik Fife Dog Taylor. Cheryl holds a master's degree in social work from Fordham University and an MFA degree in creative writing from Stone Coast, the University of Southern Maine. Thanks for listening. Cheryl. Hi, Duela. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. It's so lovely to be speaking to you. Oh, that's just, you're welcome. It's such an honor to speak with you. And, you know, your voice is just like sunshine to me. It always has been. (laughs) Uh, The joy that comes from your voice and from your poetry is, um, is, is sincerely felt. Well, I really do appreciate that. It's taken a while to get the joy back in my life and in my poetry, but it's here and I'm so grateful. It's so wonderful. Well, congratulations on your new book, Mama Fife Represents, a verse memoir. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, you know, as I'm reading through your work, I find uh, such a in-depth bearing of your uh, soul, Uh, creative uh, linking to uh, your son, Malik, uh, who we've known, especially of my hip hop generation, who we've known as Malik Fife Dog, you know, uh, from the um, uh, notable, Mm -hmm. that's right. Go ahead, go a ahead, Mama. A tribe called Quest. That's right, a tribe <laughs> called Quest. Uh, such a wonderful hip hop group. Your son, such a valuable, uh, important member of of uh, the hip hop community and this legacy. Uh, and then we have the link to you as Mama, uh, poet, workshop facilitator, and founder, curator of Calypso Muse and the Glitter Pomegranate Performance Series, as well as being a finalist for the Patterson Poetry Prize and on and on. Yes, it's, I continue to work. I've, I've been doing poetry, oh my goodness. Well, Malik, Malik is, was 50 last year. So I have been doing poetry for about 50 years because wow. I started even before he was born. And um, I love it. I find it's the thing that helps me to heal the most, no matter Mm. what I'm going through. Even when I'm having fun times, happy times, I always return to the poetry for guidance, to be grateful, to share joy. So this is a big, big part of my life, thanks to my mom, who introduced me to poetry. Wow. You know, there's something about the mother uh, the mother literally uh, uh, and figuratively uh, as a passing down of arts, uh, culture, language, creativity. Do you find, uh, as you just mentioned, you know, Malik was a poet, you know, he's the hip hop generation 
poet, but you're a poet. And then your mother uh, gifted you with the, uh, with the word, so to speak. Yes. And so how do you, what do you think about that thread and that legacy that was really uh, running through your family line the gen- through generations? Grateful for my mother. And, you know, we're, we're from Trinidad, as you know. And um, in that culture, poetry was a very big part of the school education. So my mother, um, her, her teachers would give them long poems to memorize. And they were the English classics. So they gave them long poems to memorize. And then they would have to recite them in front of the class and sometimes in front of the school. And my mother was such a lover of poetry. She won a lot of awards for, for her poetry. And as it turns out, my, my ex-husband's mother, who's my son's dad, she and my mother were best friends in grade school and they vied with each other for, to recite these long poems. So I would say that Malik gets it from all sides. Wow. And and so I grew up for my first 13 years in Trinidad. And during that time, I had that same experience. Our teacher would take us out under the tree every Tuesday afternoon. And the class would have to recite the poems that they had been given to memorize the week before. So it's always been in my blood. And my mom read poems at bedtime to me and then she read to Malik wow yeah Hmm. a true reverence yes uh for the word for the literary uh and written word and spoken word yeah well my mom never wrote her own poems but boy did she memorize long poems (laughs) she and when she died at 85 that week she recited I forget the name something the brigade and that was a long poem that she had learned. She learned when she was eight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow! And yeah. so, did your mother have a chance to witness uh, the art form, uh, the hip hop poetry of Malik? Yes, she did. Yes, she did. He shared he shared poems with her, but she was Seven Day Adventist, and he invited her many times to go to his shows when they were in the New York area. But she did come to the Bowery Poetry Cafe when Malik and I did a Mother's Day reading together in 2003. So she did get a chance to hear him. She was always afraid of of the curses. (laughs) (laughs) So she, she didn't want to come for a while, but she came. He and I performed and she was thrilled. Oh, I'm sure. How amazing that is. And then how amazing for you to witness uh, what you had really nurtured um, for so many years. And did your son witness you uh, as an active poet as well? Oh, yes. Okay. Because um, my undergraduate degree was in speech and theater. So I would sometimes have to take him to classes with me or at least to rehearsals when I was in a play or I was doing poetry. I would sometimes have to take him to rehearsal 
because I didn't have a sitter. Mm-hmm. And so he sat there and took it all in. He played a lot while he was there in the back of the theater. But I would finally say, okay, sit now. And he would take it all in. And then I think it was third grade. In his third grade school yearbook, when he was asked the question, what did he want to do? He said, a poet and an actor. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So, yeah. So that was that was wonderful. So you were really his first model for not only being a writer but being a performer, being on stage. Yes. Yes. He mm-hmm. learned that that was a viable way to make a living. Although I had other jobs while I, you know, was in school or while I was performing, I had other jobs too assist with the household because his dad and I were both in school and both working and so he saw all of that I guess when his turn came he decided the only thing he was going to do was his art <laughs> wow exactly <laughs> so he and what an art it were, was uh, the worldwide tours and the music videos and all of the acclaim and popularity yeah, throughout all of that, he was still the humblest, loving son. And I, you know, I continue to be amazed by the things people say about him. I mean, I knew that he was a powerhouse, but after his death, with, with you know, people talking about it from far and wide, it gave us a, a, a bigger view into his life. And I tell you, I keep feeling proud because I keep meeting people through him you know it's I can't tell you I know I'm a mom and I shouldn't brag but boy oh boy (laughs) I'm so proud of him and his his wife and I it's one of the things that has really helped us to heal in these last five years the comments from people about Malik's work and what it did for them, and how it changed the landscape of music in the world. It is really something to feel very proud of as a mother. Oh, I'm sure. And that's wonderful. That is just the highest, um, to be able to actually, you know, to be proud of your your son or your daughter, and, and then to not only be able to link to you know your what you're passionate about to what they're passionate about yeah and that, to hear people say what a good person he was mhm I, I you know that weighs the heaviest or the lightest on my heart mm. to hear people say what a good person he was and you know sometimes people say that when someone dies but this is all of his friends they each feel like a best friend it was so uh, uh, heartening so heartening. Really. That's that's wonderful, and and Cheryl, my memories of you. Um, although we we may not have seen each other recently, we're always linked and connected in the uh, poet poetry network. And yes. I remember you being a wonderful curator and host uh, for Pomegranate uh, Reading Series in Brooklyn, and you're yes, the founder you, of. You read that? Yes, wow. I did. Thank you so much. It was yes. wonderful. I really enjoyed it. And you're also the founder of Calypso Muse. 
Um, can we, can we talk about your, um, your creativity and in, in extending to other poets and how that merges in with you as a poet, uh, being a curator, being a founder and being someone who is really a leader in the poetry community. How has that been for you? Well, I think that the, the feel for community and inclusion is something that I've always had in my heart. Like when I thought about being a poet, I always thought about including other voices. I mean, writing poetry is a solitary act, but pu pulling community together is not. And that has been always something that I strive for. I, I'll tell you something funny that, you know, how we've been locked away this last year. Well, I have been so hungry for seeing people's face and hearing their voices. I wrote on, on Facebook, I guess it was two weeks ago, that I want people to meet me in the park so we can talk about poetry, read poetry, talk about how we're managing. And I sent a small group. Well, I got about 15 people. I'm not having all of them because, you know, the, <laughs> you know, the small group right. is where people feel safer and can really pour out their hearts. But this is, I've, I've been hungry for my sisters and for my fellow poets in the community. So we're meeting in the park. <laughs> wow. To starting next month. Oh, that is amazing. That's wonderful. And I love the way you create community and you maintain community, Cheryl, in addition to being such a pro productive uh, poet whose work resonates with so many people. Well, um, for, for over the, when, how this first began was I was reading poetry at the New Yorican, and at that time, um, this is like late 80s, early 90s. At that time, it was, a, you know, we had a different climate there. We did not read for money. We did not read for pay. We read for the pleasure and the enjoyment of it. So it gave it a different feel. Mm. So, you know, like it was not as competitive as it is now. Not that that is a bad thing, but, you know, we, we had, we were enjoying like a party lifestyle while we did poetry, hanging out and doing poetry all hours. And, and I was very well received, but what I missed was the voice of the Caribbean artists. Mm. Particularly, it started with the Trinidadian, that, that is an accent so deep in my soul that I missed it when I didn't have it. And so in 1994, I set out to find Trinidadian poets or poets of Caribbean descent. And that is how Calypso Muse began. It, it mushroomed into, um, from readings to workshops, to sponsoring book parties, you know, for, for people to doing retreats outside of the city. So it has just turned into so many different things. Now I'm mentoring uh, different poets and through a foundation that I started for Malik called Fife Diggy Dog Poetry, um, I have just given a grant 
to Women Writers in Bloom. Oh, and, yes. Yeah, for for the work that Juliet, J.P. Howard, does with the community. Yes, that's so true. That's wonderful. And the next group would be One Breath Rising and then Urban Word. So I I don't know. Poetry is my whole life. I, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have it, honestly. Wow. Particularly now that I've retired from social work. Yes, and I do remember uh, some years back you mentioning, saying on the mic uh, at one of the events uh, that you were either approaching retirement or had just retired. And, you know, it was a lot of cheering and people were congratulating <laughs> you. And I remember, con you know, people congratulating you online as well. That was nine years ago. <laughs> wow. Time time flies when you're having you, you, fun, you right? You can't believe how quickly that goes, you know. It's amazing. And so tell me, Cheryl, um, it's a question that I've asked a number of my guests. I have this curiosity because I think about it for myself. Um, how has the pandemic uh, impacted your creativity and your writing, if at all? Or what have you learned about yourself as a poet uh, in the middle of this, you know, strange and, and different and difficult time that we've been in? Well, I have continued to write, not every day, but a lot of writing. I had, you know, like I have the Mama Five book, although that, that came out, be that went to the publishers before. But um, I finished my new book, which is We Are Not Wearing Helmets, and it's political poems and poems that honor community and the women whose shoulders I walk under. So, so that's another thing. Then I wrote a bunch of, pandemic poems with a writing group that I have, an online writing group I named after my mother. We're called Elmer's Heart Circle. And we write, we write at least a hundred poems a year. Wow. Yeah. So I have to say that um, I am not feeling any lack of writing because of the pandemic. However, what I do feel is more clarity and more of a need to call it as I see it and to say it as I want to. And it doesn't, I don't care whom it offends. Wow. That is clearer because this is my work and there's no way I could step back from it. Plus I'm 70, who cares? I have to say <laughs> what I want to say. <laughs> that, that is so true. <laughs> Um, yes, it, it's, you know, speak your truth, write your truth, your truth and make it plain. Oh boy. Have I called out this country and the city of New York? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm not apologetic. Somebody has to call them out. I may not be marching in the, in the line with the Black Lives Matter, but I am penning it up. <laughs> and that is so wonderful. Pen. I love to hear that, you know, um, because you could, this pandemic, you could look at it in a number of ways. You could say, you know what, I've got all the time now and no distraction. I can create at heart's content, or you could have, you know, frozen and stood still. Oh yeah. And, <laughs> and it was hard to keep moving. It was so hard. 
especially after George Floyd died. Oh my God, oh, looking yes. at the news every day and seeing all of the people of color that were dying, it mm-hmm. seemed like so easily, like we were the only ones just fallen. Oh, it was hard to work through that. I don't know how successful I would have been had I not been writing with my group, Elmer's Heart Circle. Wow. I don't know. There are 10 of us that write in that group. And um, we first started off with the 30-30, where Mm -hmm. every April you write 30 poems in 30 days. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. Generally, when the end of April came, we were like, okay, let's write in May and June. (laughs) <laughs> exactly let's you know get it get it Let, together let's keep going mm-hmm. yeah it really held us together emotionally oh boy it was rough and in your group is this uh, a support for okay we're writing these poems every day or as you mentioned uh that's thirty thirty. but for your other group uh, we're writing up to a 100 poems a year. Is that also geared toward uh, publishing? Oh, or... yes. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. What? Well, the way that my group works is that you have to send a poem every day by midnight. And it has to be a new poem. You cannot send an old poem or say you're rewriting something. So it lets you put out a bunch of work. Now, when we're not writing, that's your time to edit and send out. We give um, some feedback, but the feedback is more like, oh, my goodness, I like those images. I like all the color in that poem. Mm. This poem ended for me here at line 10. You know, those kinds of things, not heavy and detailed. Right. Because it's 10 of us, you know, you have to read 10 poems. Yes. So. That's wonderful. I love to hear that. um, Yeah. And people do publish a lot. They publish a lot. JP just got a poem, Juliet JP Howard. She Mm -hmm. just got a poem published that she wrote um, last month in April. She's about her, her, her boys, her sons. And their yeah. safety at home. She she just got it published. It should be coming out any day now. So yeah, nice. a lot of work comes falls out. Well, almost complete. And it's so nice to have that feedback uh, from a group. Uh, it, it validates your work while you are while you are growing and uh, creating. Yeah, and we're each writing together about nine years now. Oh wow! Same, so you are same a, group. Yeah. a so true we family. Trust each other. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's nine women. I mean, ten women. Ten women. We trust each other implicitly. That's wonderful, Cheryl. I love to hear that, and this is good for anyone who, uh, people who listen to the playback of this. Um, I've talk with writers in the past about, you know, what do you do if you have writer's block? What do you do if you reach a stumbling point and you don't know how to get started? And you're mentioning a writer's circle, a writer's group, even if it's online is, you know, to me, one of those ways that you, you know, you can avoid any kind of writer's block because you have such great support. Yeah, absolutely. And I and the thing I want to stress is you don't have to have 10 people to have you can have a one other person or two 
persons, three persons writing in a group, it is so supportive. Yes, you indeed. You don't need a large group. You just need to put it out to friends, say, hey, I'm going to start writing every day for the next three weeks. Who wants to join me? Wow. Yeah. That's so powerful. Yes. So yes, that, indeed. Yeah. So and that's what I've done. That now I didn't write this year. First time in thirteen years, I didn't do. The you know, I, it's so funny because <laughs> I was looking for your thirty thirty posts, Cheryl, in April. I did. Yeah. I don't think I saw those. Yeah. No, I didn't this year because, you know, on tour with the book online. <laughs> that's right. On it's... tour with the book on Zoom. It was very difficult, and plus getting feedback from the second book, I knew that I couldn't do it. I, 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 I got shaky just thinking about it. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I stopped. I, I said, no, I'm not going to do it. I missed it so much. I almost cried one day. <laughs> oh, no, but you're doing such great work. And so I'm really glad you mentioned that because I wanted to, um, well, first circle back to, you know, what or who is your inspiration? I would love to know, you know, who are some of your favorite poets? And Hmm. I love that you talked about your background and your mother's early encouragement, but now bringing that to the present, um, who do you look to or who do you read or what music is inspiring you now? And and, and those kind of things. Okay, so um, some of the people, well, I... I Audre Lorde is one of the first poets that come to mind. And it's not so much for her poetry, but it's a lot for her boldness, her bravery. And she was not always brave about her work. She will tell you that herself. Yes. But she would she taught us you have to keep writing. And just when it feels I can't say this, that is when you dig in. Mm. Just when it feels, no, this is going to hurt me or hurt someone else, you find a way to put that down. The other person I studied with that influenced me so much was Entezaki Shange. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And what she would scream at the class, a dancer goes to the bar every day. You as a poet must go to your writing table every day. This is what she would say, you know? Wow. This, this was in the early years. And um, I was, Sapphire and I were in that class together. Oh, yes, look, Sapphire, who wrote yeah. the novel Push. Oh, yes. We would look at each other like, what? Wow. Well, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Cheryl Clark for her bold bravery on lesbian subjects. Mm-hmm. Uh, every... Every year, every writing period, there was someone else. Lucille Clifton for her sweetness and her bravery. I think, I think bravery is what I like. (laughs) Oh, I love that. (laughs) You know, because it has to start uh, with courage. It's as you mentioned earlier. You know, when you were saying, "Now I've gotten to this point where I speak my mind, I speak my truth," and it's like. You know, if it doesn't come from that, where where can it come from? <laughs> yeah, yeah, un- honestly. I also love Aracelis Gamay. Oh, yes. She influences me so much. 
Oh, boy. Wow. All really great, great poets and artists. And, you know, um, they all have their voices and their place in in our literary history. Yes. um, Which is wonderful. And uh, I love you mentioning these names because as you're talking, Cheryl, you're speaking the history, not only of uh, your history, but these are names uh, in addition to yours that, you know, students can look up and people can look these voices yes. up and learn more and, and, and follow uh, the work. And Rosemond King, I, let me say that, Rosemond King is another poet that um, they should look up. Yeah, people should look her up. She's, she just takes off on her own different fantasy. The way she uses words, oh my goodness. Exciting. Wonderful. I love this. Okay. So Cheryl, I love to circle back to your new work, Mama Fife Represents. Um, And I love the color of this book. You can touch the texture, but you can also feel the soul of this work. And I know the connection that you have with your son, uh, Malik Fife Dog Taylor, who you mentioned uh, was a member of the notable hip-hop group, A Tribe Called Quest. Uh, and just wanting to mention so much uh, of this work I'm just seeing is, is your history. There's family here. There's uh, memory. There's uh, reflection. Uh, so please tell me about your inspiration for this work. Uh, how long, if you can, you know, remember about the journey of writing it, you know, how long it took and, and any of your uh, special poems that you really want uh, to talk about from this collection. Yes. Well, first I want to say that I wrote, I began writing not a book, but I began writing my feelings and my heart. Losing Malik was the most devastating loss I have ever had in my life. And I lost my mother um, six years before that. And I thought that that was the end of me. But I learned that when a mother loses a child, that is something that's unspeakable. And so one of the things that, that was happening during the time that he passed was that I was forgetting things. I would ask questions. I asked my partner one day, I said, was my brother at the ceremony, at the funeral? And she looked at me and said, yes, of course. So I was asking things like that, not remembering who said Mm. what. And I started feeling like I was going to lose my mind, my memory, and most importantly, my memory of him the times that we had, I thought I was going to lose his voice. Wow. And mm. Yeah. And so, you know, I was a social worker and I thought I knew everything about grieving. I could help clients with it, but I couldn't help myself when that time came. I didn't mm. even recognize the person that I was. And so I began writing things down. I wrote letters to myself, letters to my mother, letters to God. Let us to Malik, anything to try and keep me stable and steady. So I would say that the book follows my first two or three years of public mourning, mm. which 
was a harder experience than when I lost my mom. Because everywhere I looked or heard on the radio or something, it was something about him. And and as I said, there were wonderful things and it made us happy and it saved us. But yet they were hard to see sometimes. Wow. I couldn't do it. Like when the album came out, their last album, and I went, they invited us to Saturday Night Live because they were performing it there. Yes. After that concert, I just took to my bed the entire weekend. I Mm. could not, I couldn't continue. I couldn't go on. That's how I felt. Wow. So it didn't start off as a book, but more of a journal entry. And um, the the poems are told through a tapestry of narrative poems, dreams, anecdotes, little stories about Malik and his childhood, journal entries, his poems, his letters to his dad and I, some of his hip hop lyrics. So those are just things that I, that, I combined into a long form. I What I realized was that memory doesn't come in a linear form, or it didn't for me. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to keep it as close to the reality of how I wrote the book. So I, I wrote it as ideas came to me, as thoughts, as memory. Wow. And... When or how far into that process of it sounds like you were taking your time with yourself, processing your grief, um, you were using your writing uh, really to heal yourself. Yes. But when did you know, okay, this is actually forming into a collection? I guess sometime near the end of 2017. He passed away in March 2016, sometime near the end of 2017. I began to see, wow, this is turning into a book. Now, there were two things that was important to me. One, I wanted to share with people that death and grief is nothing to be ashamed of and that there is no standard for it. Nobody can tell you how to grieve. And the third thing was that I went to therapy because I did not think that I could make it through on my own. Although I had my partner, I had my daughter-in-law, and my daughter-in-law and I used to talk every morning. She's in California, and sometimes she'd call me at 5 o'clock, and we'd just be quiet on the phone. That was the first year. It was so tough, but we had each other and we hung in there. And um, I had to go to therapy because it wasn't working out. So Mm -hmm. I also wanted people, everybody knew, not everybody, but fans all over the world knew Fife. I wanted people to learn who Malik was and how do you come from a premature baby two pounds, 15 ounces. Wow. (laughs) To be a loud mouth Caribbean (laughs) boy who lives a dream and shares it in the world and lives to change the face of music despite all of his medical issues. 
Yes. That's a mouthful, but that was my impetus for writing the book. I wanted people to remember him. It's amazing. And, you know, I also find uh, as I'm reading through the poems that not only is it a, a marker, as you, as you just mentioned, about what Malik was able to do and accomplish, but it also seems to be a tribute um, and a recording of your relationship yes. uh, with Malik and, and his uh, relationship with, with others in the family and, uh, of course, with Tribe Called Quest, uh, the, yes. the history... Uh, there's just really so much here. Um, and so can you talk about the different, it's almost like the different sections or the different uh, uh, perspectives of, you know, your life, Malik's life, and how they merge together in this collection? Well, I definitely wanted to explore our lives together as mother and son, artist and artist, teacher and friend. I also, in some of the poems, I wanted to show his vulnerability because a lot of times society, people in society tend to think that the young men that do hip hop and rap are, are the lyrics that they write, you know, to, um, the way they talk about women, the way they talk about money and things, you know. So people generally put a lot of them in that category as not caring, not feeling, lack of emotion. Not everybody, but they definitely do that with a lot of people. And I wanted people to see that um, Malik was not like that. And to be able to see that, yes, yeah, so you're hearing this music. They are just writing songs. They have an inner life. It's not that you're going to see it, but don't think of them as hoods and gangster rats. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. So yeah. I, I wanted to show his vulnerability. And one, one of those poems is the poem that he wrote. Well, actually, it wasn't a poem. It was, a, it was an email. He wrote me telling me how much he felt like a mama's boy and how proud he was of it and that was really important to me. And it was also important for me to apologize to him for the times when, you know, I was working and in school and a 20 year old mom, those times when, you know, I really didn't know what I was doing, but I was trying to, you know, what is the word I'm looking for? I was trying to juggle all of it. Yes. And doing that at such an immature age you miss a lot of things. And so I also wanted people to see that as a parent, you're not always right. You make mistakes and it really is okay to apologize to your kids and let them know that you're sorry. You will learn to do it another way. So those yes. were the things that I was trying to cover in the book. That's wonderful, Cheryl. And thank you for sharing that. And another thing that strikes me about this collection, your newest work, uh, Mama Fife Represents, is you really bring the lyricism to the forefront. As I'm looking at the, uh, the actual writing, you know, there's like photographs of script, of, of writing, um, as oh, if it were. 
Yeah, handwriting. Uh Handwriting, exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, and it just makes me think of, you know, the poet who's writing down their thoughts and the the stream of consciousness or the rapper, you know, the hip hop artist as Malik was, um, you know, who is uh, getting those ideas down on paper and it's, you know, it's the notebook paper, it's the composition notebook or, or whatever they have to write on. You know, for example, Fife's I Am Hip Hop Lyrics on page 95. Uh-huh. You mm-hmm. know, I feel like it really, it really um, brings the personal uh, viewpoint and the art of this is how the craft starts, uh, yes. you know, into this work. And so I wanted to ask you, Cheryl, do you have any uh, favorite poems or any poems that now, you know, through this conversation we're having that really jump out at you that you would like to share uh, at this time? Well, yes, I would like to share one of Malik's, um, I would like to share one of Malik's early poems that he wrote when he was nine years old. And um, he was always interested in writing, but this particular summer, we sent him to camp at the YMCA for three years. And on the fourth year, he said he didn't want to go. And we were, and I was I always wanted to know why. So he said, well, you know, the kids curse and they fight and I want to be with, spend that summer with my grandmother. You know, we go to visit people at the hospital and shop and all of this stuff. And I knew that there was a lot of playtime written into that. <laughs> so I, I wrote him a letter and I told him, I don't mind him staying with grandma, but what I want him to do is to stop each day and write me a letter or a poem <laughs> or drawing, whatever. And so he, I think, I believe that Fife was born that summer. So wow. this is, yeah, I definitely believe that. And, and what page first... are you on? Because I want to uh, make sure I'm going to follow you. Oh, page 14. Okay. And so I'm going to read a piece of my mind. This is one of the poems he wrote. He, <laughs> he almost, he, he almost uh, was trying to tell the parents how they should be raising these kids. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> and it's called A Piece of My Mind. Hey, people. I hate to say this, but younger brothers around here hanging out on the corners and write graffiti on the mailbox, they cut school and play Pac-Man, Galaxian, Donkey Kong, and they never stop. People, parents, you ought to give them a piece of your mind because when they get old, they show, no, they should have studied. So, so people, give them a piece of your mind. So that was one of the ones that he wrote, chastising parents how what they needed to do to save their kids. <laughs> At nine years old. Nine yes. years old. That's what he thinks to do. Then there was another one. One of the, one of the first ones he wrote that summer was... Um, Dear Mom, today I made up 15 good songs. <laughs> 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 and he never stopped there. 
he kept going. <laughs> and and how old was he then? Uh, ten. Ten. Okay. okay. Yeah, he was ten. So, but but that was one of the earlier ones. <laughs> Something That's wonderful. Else. Yeah. So I'm looking for um two short ones that I could share with you. Okay, and one of the first ones. What about in section Mama Fife? Um, what page is that? <laughs> so the section that starts on page sixty-one, Mama Fife. Okay, let's see. Yeah, page sixty-one. Oh, Mama Five. Oh, okay. Yeah. He calls me Mama Five. All his friends call me Mama Five. I love how that sounds. I love how he says, what's up, Ma? I say nothing. What about you? I love how he always says, cool, cool. And when he hangs up, he says, love you, Ma. Then he says, one. One love? I'm never sure which one it is, the number one or the word one. My son always called my mother and me, Ma. And when he said Ma, we were never sure which one he was calling. Dear Sunrise, I break with each dawn, waiting for his voice. Hmm. That's nice. That was an early, early stage when it was difficult. Yes. Hmm. Yes. So since we're here, I'll just read Dear Malik. Okay. One of the letters that I wrote to him after his passing. Dear Malik, forgive the years when as a teen I became your mother. Forgive me when I disrespected you. Forgive me when I failed to listen. Forgive the years when you felt like an unloved teen Dull without your mother's shine. Forgive the wound that broke you from throat to fractured toe. Forgive me, love, mom. And that wound was uh, the, the, my, my divorce with his dad. That really, really hurt him. He was just 13. Wow. So that was a painful year. And was Malik your only child? I had twins when I had Malik. Oh. And, and his twin brother only lived for eight hours. Oh, so, so that was the Ibeji poem. Yes, that's the Ibeji poem. When I and saw I that, know. I said, oh, I didn't. I said, huh, I wonder. You know, I I looked at that and I said twins. But I because I know Ibeji means twins. Yes, Ibeji means twins in the Nigerian pantheon of gods. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you know, but I was a twin also, and my twin brother was stillborn. Oh, I didn't know that, Cheryl. Yeah. I'm sorry yeah. to hear that. Yeah. Oh, no, it's it's okay. It's a long time ago. And but th- these twins mm-hmm. ran in our family. And in the last few years, we've seen more and more twins on both sides, my side 
and on Malik's dad's side. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I want to ask you, um, you know, you have a poem on page 11. It says the summer fife was born. What month was he born in? November. Oh, oh, the summer fife was born, meaning when he began writing and getting very serious about his work. Oh. I knew then that hip hop had gotten him. Yes. And now, and he was now fife. And if you he know, was now five. Fife was born, and as they say, call him Fife Dog, exactly. you know, later. <laughs> five, five Dog was born um, then. And wow. by the time he was 12, he was looking for somebody to set up group, a group with. And <laughs> wow. He was and focused. Looking for beats. And, oh, yeah. Looking for beats. Focused. He knew what he wanted at a very oh, yeah. young age. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that that's why I let him go on the road at that that age. You know, it was difficult to let him go, but it was difficult to to keep him because he had been so sad since the divorce, mm-hmm. and this was the first time I saw this <coughs> light come back into his being. Wow. You know, art transforms people. Do you believe that? Absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. If I didn't have it, I like I said, the last five years, they've been some of the most difficult years of my life. But I, I find myself laughing and making jokes and being funny. I, I've really come back into myself. And, you know, it's the people around me, my partner and my daughter-in-law, some of my friends, but it's really my art. Yes, indeed. And, you know, I often hear people say that, you know, uh, as you mentioned earlier, wow, what would I do if I didn't have my art? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like, you know, hey, I'm one of the lucky ones. I have a, a, a vehicle in which to process everything going on in the world. I have something I can use to heal myself. You know, uh, do you feel that way? Yeah, well, I am grateful for it. Uh, but I often wonder how are people making it who don't have an artistic outlet? Well, they're, you know, I feel more blessed than lucky. Yes. And you know what? That is a a much nicer, better word is blessed because (laughs) it's true. You have to wonder, good gracious. I know that I have this thing here that really, really helps me. What is everyone else doing? <laughs> yeah, in this, and particularly that was made so clear in in this last year, twenty twenty. How are people holding themselves together with all of this? The pandemic, all the Black Lives Matter, Black Lives we were losing. How are people coping? Well, I mean, I know you can yes. go to therapy. I know you can go to your minister, your family. Self-medicating, Cheryl. I think a lot of people, I remember seeing something on the news uh, that, you know, uh, alcohol sales had gone up just so much. Yes, I saw that. You know, uh, (laughs) just so many different, you know, people um, have really needed to, uh, you know, self-medicate and whatever else, who knows, maybe eating, I don't know. Yeah. You know, um, uh, binge watching movies. Hey, I find Netflix to be very entertaining. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So, you know, that's something I kind of picked up. I was never a Netflix watcher, but, you know, in this last several months, it's something that I picked up. Yeah. And I think one of the things, too, is that we have lost the art of calling on the phone and speaking. And so to me, that has made us lonelier during this particular time. I agree. Because you know what? Everyone does Facebook or yeah, or I Twitter, you know. You for an hour. <laughs> I'd rather talk to you for half an hour and yes. laughter and Yeah. You know, that is so true, Cheryl. Oh my gosh. You can talk on so many different subjects. Do you know that? <laughs> like, my goodness. Uh, my mother used to <laughs> say I was a chatterbox. Yeah. No, it's great. You're you're a podcast host dream. Oh wow. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. But I've been really um blessed to talk to some really wonderful people and you're one of them. So Oh, I appreciate really great. it. This has been really enlightening and enriching and creative and so thank you for the opportunity to be seeing you sometime soon when I get back home then you will and you know what and I miss you I miss you as well yeah yeah totally the work that you're doing you're bringing (laughs) so much to people at a time when they really really need it Yes. Thank you so much. Well, you know, I just um, go with the inspiration and how the spirit moves me. That's all. Uh (laughs) Okay. Yes. And so uh, please tell me where we can find Mama Fife Represents. Okay. We can find it on haymarketbooks.org. Okay. And they can follow me on Instagram at Cheryl.ArrivalPoems. Wonderful. And, and I'll, let me just give my website too, because we put a lot of information on there. Oh, yes, Cheryl, please. Yeah, CherylBoyceTaylor.net. Oh, that's wonderful. And Cheryl. And on Twitter at Mama Fife. Oh. Oh, great. Twitter. Twitter is awesome. It's a great way to to promote your work. Yeah, it is. And, you know, um, what can we look forward to? Uh, How can we further support you, Cheryl? And what's coming up for you next? What's coming up for me next February, my new book is called We Are Not Wearing Helmets. And they are political poems about community and I honor some of the women whose footsteps I'm walking in, and Zaki Shangay, Audrey Lord, um, some of my peers. So that is coming up. I talk about the years when we marched and marched and marched and how things haven't changed much. And um, so that's, I'm really looking forward to that book. It's a whole different voice and different story. Oh, wonderful. And it's coming from Northwestern University Press, the same press as my last book, Arrival. Oh, Arrival. Congratulations, Cheryl. You are quite prolific. This pandemic has not stopped you from, you know, (laughs) just being a poet and being, you know, know, I love it. Productive, um, being someone who is supporting other poets, uh, getting your own work out there. You're one of the uh, wonderful 
poets in my network that I've seen really, really taking advantage of doing the virtual events and yeah. doing, you know, uh, online and virtual tours, which I think is really great. Yeah, the, <laughs> we don't have a choice right now. But, you know, before I go, I want to shout out. Um, I want to shout out Haymarket Books. I want to shout out the designer of the cover, Makiba Rainey. Oh. She, she designed this cover. And that photo of Malik is a self-portrait that he took about two weeks before he died. Wow. Yeah. I love it. It's a beautiful cover. I think I mentioned that. It looks like fabric and then he's front and center and it almost looks like there's a halo right behind him. Yes, it does. That's the mm -hmm. kind of work that she does. She's, she's wonderful in her art. Makiba Rainey. Rainy, Makiba Rainey. I'll definitely yes. look her up. And I also love the representation of, you know, if anyone else picks this up, the red, black, and green. Oh, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. There's, you know. Oh, are you talking about the new cover? Do you have the hard cover? I have the paperback, and, and I see that red, your name is in red, and then there's a slight yeah. accent on his shoulder in green. Oh, yeah, there was, an, there was another limited edition and it was the tribe colors in red, black, and green. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. It yeah. A, it was a very short run. Oh, it was limited edition for that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. Well, Cheryl, it's yeah. been a pleasure to speak with you today. And you too. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. And again, congratulations on Mama Fife Represents. And I hope you will continue to do a phenomenal job in, you know, reading and sharing your work uh, through the summer and in the fall. And I look forward to uh, supporting your next work as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. I look forward to meeting with people again, hearing their voices, clapping in those little bars we hang out in. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And how about, hey, let's have, you know, some more pomegranate series when yeah, things open oh, up again, yes, you know? Yes. yes. Yeah. I stopped it so I could write these two books just so you know. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah, of All course, right, you've got to so... focus on your work, too. Oh, you have to, yeah. Mm -hmm. So thank you for what you bring to us. Thank you very much. You're welcome, and Cheryl. And congratulations with your work and your writing too. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, take care, Cheryl. Okay. And you were just listening to episode 30 of Nerdosity Podcast featuring my guest, Cheryl Boyce Taylor. Pick up a copy of her latest book, Mama Fife Represents. Visit her website at CherylBoyceTaylor.net. I hope you'll follow Nerdocity Podcast on Instagram at Nerdocity Podcast. Tweet me and also follow on Twitter at NerdocityPod1. Visit my artist and author website at DoAwaWorld.com. If you've been enjoying these episodes, consider supporting future podcast episodes by donating at paypal.me slash doawaworld or by sending to anchor.fm slash doawafraser slash support. Thanks so much for listening. Take care. <laughs>